Hello and welcome to Vista Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Priscilla Charles, and I'm delighted to be joined in Studio 2 today by our very own Elizabeth Riley. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi there. It's lovely to have you. So Elizabeth uh, is the Director of Solutions Architecture at Vista Tech. Very welcome to have you. Um, our first, um, first uh, guest of 2021. So let's get, get on with the show. So Elizabeth, I'd like to um, start uh, and jump right into your recent attendance at uh, two major global conferences online, obviously, uh, recently as a speaker. So first of all, you attended the Gala Connected event in September 2020, if I'm correct. Right. And next year, right. event in December 2020. So can you tell us a little bit about these uh, conferences? Because um, you presented, you were speaker at these. Yeah, um, I was a little bit, the role I had at XTM, the XTM conference in December was a little bit different than what I had at Gala. So um, I'm happy to talk a little bit about both of those. Gala, the Gala conference was actually good. It was a little bit nerve wracking because that was my first opportunity to actually present at an industry conference. I had submitted a paper some time ago, actually. It felt like by the time that the Gala event came around, it had been uh, many months since I submitted that proposal and I was sort of struggling to remember what it is I thought was compelling about the topic. So it was a little bit nerve wracking, but ultimately in the end, it was a good experience because it was able to present to you know, a lot of industry folks, like a wide range of attendees on a topic that I had you know, prepared in advance with something of my own creation. So that was actually really fun. Um, it was a good experience. It was the first time I'd done anything like that at an industry conference. Mm -hmm. I've you know, worked in this field for a while. So that was a good milestone to have. Fantastic. And, uh, and uh, I know that you are um, like Lockwood, for, Lockwood Y43 is around the corner. So are you planning to attend this one? Uh, yes, but only as a participant. So I didn't have any submission or anything like that this time. It's just Not been a little bit too busy. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, my creative juices have uh, dried up a little bit. Unfortunately, just with the, you know, the stress of life. But I hope to do that again in the future because those conferences, I think, are fun and a good way for people to exchange ideas and information. So Fantastic. I'll do that again. Thank you. And so now I'd like to move a little bit um, to your, to your, uh, your uh, academic background. Uh, so sure. from past professional experiences, I understand that you speak uh, German and French. And <laughs> I, I assume you must be you know, fluent in both of these. Fantastic. So um, like, what do you two learning languages in the first place? Well, um, you know, I don't know. I've always liked languages. Even when I was a kid, I was just kind of attracted to, you know, words with foreign characters in them, you know, like accented characters. And I... I just was interested in languages at some level. And so I began studying in high school and studied some French in college and I'd learned German uh, by virtue of living in Germany. I just, I'm also kind of, I find it kind of easy to pick up languages. So that increases my enjoyment of them. I guess I would say a lot of people have this issue where they say like, well, I would love to learn a language, but I just find mm -hmm. it so hard. Yeah. Um, and I've never really found that to be the case for better or for worse. Um, so that's kind of just how I got into it. Um, my levels of both those languages as well as other ones that I've used before has diminished because I don't speak to anybody in, in French or German very much anymore, but I still try to maintain some level of fluency in them, however I can. No, but that's great. That means, you know, um, it's it's somewhere, it's, it's here somewhere and, you know, you can pick it up anytime, I'm sure, going back to the country. Um, and, yeah. you know, I mean, not at the moment, obviously, but uh, yeah, some nice, yeah. some people it's easier than others, but that's fantastic. Yeah. And do you have any other languages that I'm curious to learn? If you could, you um, know, any language? Yeah. Well, along those lines, like I just find that languages, um, for me, they could kind of tend to overlap among one another. So the more that you know about any language, then the more you can kind of decipher, or at least I can. 
I feel <laughs> some people might be laughing. Like, what are you talking about? Like, like um, I don't speak any of these languages particularly well, but I can decipher them from you know exposure. Like I used to, in one of my previous jobs, I was responsible for doing localization QA for Swedish, for example. Oh, wow. So I don't, I don't know Swedish, and I can't really understand when people are speaking Swedish because I've never been exposed to it. But there's a lot of Swedish words that either resemble German words or French words or English words, so you can kind of decipher it that way. Similar with Dutch. Um, uh, I know a little bit of Arabic, Algerian dialect, <laughs> not a whole lot, but, you know, a couple yeah. of things. Um, some Spanish, like I've never studied Spanish, but Spanish is similar enough to French that I can kind of yeah. you know, follow along. So that's yeah, kind of the way that works. Languages being closer or, yeah, or for sure. Yeah. That's, that's really so. interesting. Okay. That's, thank you. So. Hmm. No, that's that's great. That means, uh, yeah, you can, I'm sure you can pick it up. And next time we chat, you'll be able to tell me that you you have uh, <laughs> to read an article in, um, I'm not sure, the language of this. So uh, <laughs> I'm interested. Um, it's not everyone. Uh, but now uh, I'd like to move on to your uh, professional journey. So you've held hmm. a variety of qualified positions, right, in the past, uh, over the past 15 years in sales and production. And you're extremely knowledgeable about the client side of operations. And you've experienced as a linguistic QA manager, an account manager, software test lead for clients in the medical industry, device industry, sorry. So you've also experienced in software localization, QA, and TMS system. But I noticed that you did study uh, political sciences, right, in the US. Mm -hmm. Also, yeah. people through multicultural marketing at the Paris Sorbonne University that I'm very familiar with. So uh, <laughs> tell me, what made you join the localization industry in the first place? Um, well, it was really just to try to find an opportunity to allow me to use languages. After I finished college, um, I went on a study abroad or like a work abroad program. I went to France um, and worked for a few months in a marketing agency. And I had been struggling to find a way to integrate languages into my career. And um, after I went to France, I went to Germany and I didn't know very much German, but I was still interested in hopefully using those languages. And um, after having done that, I found that there was an opportunity in a translation company where I first started who was looking for a linguistic QA manager who actually needed to be a native speaker of English, but also with some level of fluency in some other language. So that was kind of how it happened. Is that It was just really this desire to be able to use language skill in some way professionally. And that's kind of how I got into it. And what made you move on to then um, um, join a medical device industry? This is because was it you wanted a particular position in localization or was this the, the sector that attracted you? Um, no, it was actually that the company I started with, um, so my very first job, well, I had a job that was prior to that, but it was not a full-time like sort of career thing. So I consider that, I don't consider that my first job. My first job in localization was with this company that was specialized in medical device and pharmaceutical companies. So all of our clients were in that realm. And as a result, you know, you just became specialized with that. So the opportunities just kind of came about as a result of that. I happened to move to Denver um, for personal reasons. And there was a gentleman I worked with in the Denver office of our larger company who was doing a lot of medical device software testing. And uh, he, we happened to work together because I was working for the medical device arm of the company as a QA manager, and there was just a synergy there. So it was kind of a nice way to, you know, kind of get some more experience. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but it's always been good. I've always enjoyed working with medical device companies because, you know, they tend to do things that are uh, technologically innovative, but also in the interest of helping people either improve their health or save lives yeah. generally. So that's always nice. <laughs> Quite essential. Okay. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, now I'd like to move on to your current role at Vestatech. You are um, yeah. 
at this attack and you joined the organization in September 2019, if I'm correct. And yes. you, help, um, you help support the company-wide sales division. You assist Vistatech to work closely with clients and partners globally, of course. So um, I'm quite curious. In an interview, you said that there's so much that encompasses the solutions architect role uh, that you took on. And you know you'll be faced with a variety of challenges. I understand this is what you said when you joined us, which keeps us keeps you motivated. And, uh, and because you've always enjoyed helping sort of common and complex um, problems in the localization industry with your experience. So um, tell me a bit about your role for, you know, for uh, our audience who wouldn't be familiar with the solutions, uh, a director of solutions architecture role. Uh, what do you like most about it and about Vistatech and what do you think it's essential to an organization that is looking to go global? Sure. Well, just to start with the part about the role itself and what I like about it, uh, that quote that you gave um, is actually very true. I've always really enjoyed trying to help solve problems of localization because my, my job um, or my career, I guess, the jobs that I've had over the course of my career have always involved some element of, you know, client, client facing work. And as a result of that, I've seen that localization can actually be very difficult for them. Whereas to us on the inside, there's often very obvious and simple solutions that they can implement. So I found that very interesting. And also, I just really like helping them navigate their way through Because, you know, if you're not a language person, it can be very complicated and, and, you know, frustrating to have to deal with that stuff. So that's always been a draw for me. Um, and so in my role here at Vistatech, uh, one of the things that I do as part of the sales team as a solutions architect is to try to help craft solutions to customer or prospect problems, right? So they come to us wanting to either change vendors or to have us present some kind of idea on how to solve a particular localization problem or help them launch some new thing initiative that's related to localization or multilingual content. And I find that interesting you know, and challenging to try to work with them and use my knowledge of industry practices and tools and that sort of thing, but also with this specific processes and strengths to help them create something that will work for them and also is, is viable for us as a company. Um, so that's, you know, that's one of the things I really enjoy about this job. Plus the people in the sales team, I really like them. It's a small team, um, but it's also very dynamic. There's lots of different personalities, but I think that people work together, work, uh, work well together. So it's fun to be part of that. Um, to answer finally your question about what it takes, I think what it takes to go global. Um, it, it, that's a broad question with a array of possible answers. And, and so I don't want to say that it takes a lot to go global because it doesn't need to take a lot to go global. I think um, to simplify this and provide an answer that is somewhat meaningful, I think that all it really takes to go global is the initiative and the willingness to do so. And then after that, you can sort of figure everything out based upon what sort of obstacles may lie in the path of your trajectory towards that. Um, but really all it takes at the outset is just this willingness to do it and a desire to really you know, reach other markets and recognize that there's just a whole wide world out there of people that you can reach with whatever you're doing. 100%, yes, thank you very much. And it's not easy for, uh, for, for everyone really to, uh, um, to broaden, um, uh, but to, to reach a different market, whether it is uh, in, in the same continent or at the other end of the world. So now we speak of um, how Visitec helps um, uh, customers um, going global. Why do you think it is important for organizations and brands to focus on global content solutions um, and not simply just localization or translation? Because you could argue that, you know, if you want to localize, you're adapting to another locale. But so what would be, how would you, what would be the difference? How would you? 
Um, I think it's really critical because localization uh, goes just beyond creating, you know, releasing something, either a product or a service in another language. There's a really, there's a cultural element that needs to be considered. So when we talk about multilingual content solutions, that's a bit more involved and also more encompassing than just saying, well, yeah, you know, you want to sell your application to Italian customers, let's just translate it into Italian. There are cultural factors that come into play. And so multilingual content solutions to me implies a more holistic approach and an encompassing strategy that addresses more aspects than simply language. Um, so I find that that's actually very important. And I think we're doing that pretty well because you know, Vistatech operating on a very programmatic level with many of our customers, we're able to look at different aspects of their work. Um, it's not transactional. Um, you know, there's nothing to say that that's, a, that's an incorrect way of approaching it. Many customers are simply not at the level where they have need for a programmatic approach. They just have small bits of stuff to yes. get translated. So they're just not that very far, far along on their journey. But the whole multilingual content solutions is a way, I think, of addressing these different aspects of creating content that is ready to be consumed by consumers, you know, customers or whichever and users in another language, but is also that is culturally representative and meaningful for them beyond just language. Thank you. Yes, I suppose you can't you can't sell uh, to your customer. Um, um, I don't know in South America, just like you would sell uh, in uh, Eastern Europe, for instance. And that is yeah. the, the fine line. Yes, it is. Um, it demonstrate the the importance yeah, of localization and uh, yeah when you try to go global. So thank you. And um, so now um, for those of you who wouldn't know, Elizabeth is also very much involved in a number of other activities, uh, such as managing a women's localization chapter. And uh, so in June of 2019, before uh, joining Vista, you co-founded the Colorado chapter uh, of the organization with Suzanne Frank, Vice, Pre Vice President of Global Sales uh, Enablement at Vista Tech as well. Yeah. Uh, so now I understand that the chapter, if I'm quoting right, was founded as it recognized the need for women in localization representation, mentorship, and the support for women at any stage in the career within this uh, vibrant, ever-involving industry, which is, and, um, and women in luck, as we like to call it, Colorado or WLCO, uh, as it can also be referred to, brings together uh, Colorado's localization and translation experts, right, like other some of the other chap chapters. And um, so tell us a little bit about it. I'm curious, you know. Yeah some of our audience is not necessarily familiar with the organization is sure. is truly global all around the world uh, so tell me about this chapter please sure yeah happy to um so women in localization is a global organization a nonprofit that serves to meet those goals right like promote the role of women in localization as an industry and also help with career development and mentorship and as well as education on best practices and that sort of thing um and so strangely there's you know there's a huge number of people who work in localization in our area. So I'm based in Denver, but Boulder is also a, a city with a localization hub that's not too far away, probably about 35 miles from Denver. Mm -hmm. And Suzanne and I had gotten together at the very outset of our relationship. We did not actually work together at that time, but you know, we were kind of just like, why is there not a women in low chapter for Denver yeah. or the Denver Boulder, the front, what we call the front range? It's just been really puzzling because there's a bunch of localization companies, LSPs, um, and there's also clients with um, satellites or headquarters. There's medical device companies. It's just really weird. Like we probably between the two of us, Suzanne also used to live in this area. 
Um, we probably knew 100 people among ourselves who were working in localization and would be mm -hmm. potential members. So it was just kind of baffling to us that this yeah. didn't already exist. It was like, how could this be possible? So uh, we work together um, with the women in localization uh, board members who give guidance to new chapters on what requirements need to be fulfilled in order to create a new chapter and sort of things like that. And uh, we got it running, got it up and running up off the ground and uh, did our first event in um, the summer of that year. And it was really good. Um, a lot of people were saying the same thing that we were. It was like, why was there not a chapter here before? Because there were easily like, I don't know, six, 65 people in our sort of initial batch of members. So it was tapped an unmet need for sure. And I, I can imagine easily, of course, with what you're saying. And uh, I, it's it must be it must be growing, although you're not able to attend in person and create a gathering. Yeah, it must must be growing, you know, by the day. Yeah, I mean, the women and localization board members are really good about providing support for um, the individual chapters and helping them grow, but also cross chapter sort of initiatives. So that's mm -hmm. been a thing that's been happening. Is a lot of chapters are working together to do virtual events and also you know meet and network with each other. So that's been good. Um, and I think our chapter is growing here in Colorado, even though, again, we, I don't know if I'd say suffered a bit, but, you know, the in-person meetings are certainly a highlight of the, of the organization for me. It's always great to meet up with other people in person and just, of course, you know, yeah, and exchange best yeah. practices and uh, challenges. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right. So um, now moving on to uh, the past challenging year that we've all been, as we mentioned, you know, we're not able to, to, uh, to host in-person events, but we, we keep mm -hmm. on in good relationship online. Um, so um, how do you see, how has the year been for you? And how do you see this year changing really? Because I suppose you've, you've had to adapt, you know, your everyday life, like everyone, we work from home, we're not able to meet in person, go to clients meetings. So how has it been for you? And how do you see this changing uh, onwards, you know, in the past, in the next few years? Yeah, I mean, this year, the past year has definitely been challenging. I can say with certainty that I'm very fortunate to have been working for a company like VistaTech that allows people to work remotely without any type of disruption in what we're doing. I mean, I worked remotely beforehand, but um, there wasn't really no disruption in our activities, knowing that we have production hubs elsewhere, you know, that are not from home. And also, um, just on a personal level, I've been fortunate that I didn't have any major nefarious effects from from the situation. So I'm really, you know, thankful to, to express all of that. But, you know, there are still challenges. Um, a big part of our job as solutions architects is supporting the sales team. And often that involves customer visits or meeting in person with prospects to really get to know them and find out what their challenges are and just talk to them. Yeah. And of course, with the limitations on travel and movement, that certainly doesn't happen any longer. I mean, you know, we have Zoom meetings and that sort of thing, but there's an element of personal interaction that is missing. And I think that's one of the most challenging things. So not only on a professional level, but a personal level, you know, we've all probably suffered from that. Like, you know, you can have virtual interactions, but at some level, they're certainly not the same as meeting up with people in real life. Yes. So, um, you. you know, that's just par for the course based on what we're dealing with. But to, um, to kind of indicate what that might mean for the future, I do certainly think that uh, not to be pessimistic or put things on a negative note, we're certainly not out of the woods yet. And yeah. um, we'll continue to see restrictions, but these are in service of a greater you know, need to try to get things back into order. And at some point, Perhaps there will be, you know, sort of a silver lining to the cloud, right? Like we'll maybe appreciate more what we have and people will um, create, perhaps create deeper connections with those that they care about and recognize how tenuous a lot of things are that they can change very quickly. Yeah, so. no, it's, it's true. And I think the way that we 
uh, we host events and uh, we do business has changed uh, dramatically and will um, uh, will last really um, uh, for uh, for years to come. So. Mm -hmm. Uh, now, um, speaking of changing and in of changes, in interview you've both mentioned that you're interested in how our industry will adapt, you know, technology-wise, yeah. um, and that you like you like to keep abreast of new um, developments, and you know you want to be sure that you you're always offering, well, as you know, as a member of Vistatech, offering customers realistic solutions, really, to uh, to the variety of problems that they have to solve in the digitalization and multilingual content. Uh, so. Um, so yeah, tell me a little bit about this because uh, have you identified any trends, you know, or that seem to be making a difference to help these customers uh, in the localization industry? What do you think, you know, in the next five years or currently within the past year, anything that's changed that struck you that will, you know, make a difference? Well, I think there are a lot of things that have changed. I mean, clearly with a lot of work and events and that sort of thing, we're moving to a virtual remote model that has changed the way that people communicate and the emphasis they place on different things. So I think that there's been a move towards brevity, um, more conciseness, a lot less fluff um, in communications and that sort of thing. That's more of kind of an over, you know, high level overview type of change that I've seen. But I do think that will have repercussions um, in other aspects. On a technological level, I think that a lot of what we're seeing with a lot of customers is a huge shift towards, you know, moving towards digital, yeah. whereas a lot of customers were, some were better prepared than others, and some who are not prepared have just been pushed along by necessity. Um, you know, there's certain industries which are less well suited to um, online ways of doing business, and by virtue of the conditions that we face, they are now forced to do so. And so a company like ours having experience with a range of customers in many different industries we have experience that can be leveraged from one customer to another um, so that's that's also been quite nice is to be able to help customers who suddenly are faced with this need to like go, go global digitally right and they're like well we, we've done that we can help you um, another thing that i think will be incredibly critical um, i don't know if i'd say over the next five years but in some sort of medium frame um, medium term time frame is, as you're saying, it's about multilingual content solutions. What I think is really um, going to become important if it is not patently clear already, um, if it's not completely clear already, is that um, what we're going to move towards is less transactional localization and translation type of stuff than in native language uh, content and product and service creation. I really just think that's kind of a no brainer that for whatever areas in which it is possible, native language content creation is really going to become much more compelling um, than, it, than it currently is, you know, to sort of eliminate this hegemony of English, you know. Okay, all that right. makes sense. Yeah, no, it does totally. Okay, yeah. I suppose, yeah, you have sometimes um, uh, customers uh, who'd be asking for a particular language, you know, that you don't expect, you know, uh, in the market. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, well, thank you very much. I have uh, two questions uh, before we finish this interview. Um, sure. What's on the horizon for 2021 for Elizabeth O'Reilly? Uh, anything in particular, personally or professionally? Any other uh, other activities that our audience should know? Or <laughs> no, that's a good question. I wish I knew. Right? I actually don't know. Um, the the situation that we've been faced with the last year or so has kind of made me. Um, really cast all my plans into the air. I don't really have a clear sense of what is on the ag on the agenda for me. I don't. I haven't made any type of resolutions or 
set any goals just because things seem, like I said a minute ago, things seem very tenuous. It's really hard to know what will transpire from one week to the next. So I have aspirations and desires for how I'd like uh, things to go, um, but I, I'm not banking on anything necessarily because I just have seen how quickly things can change um, and ultimately that we lack as much control as we really think we do over our lives. So I think it's important to be flexible. That said, um, I'd love to get back to in-person meetings, both personally and professionally. That's something I've greatly, greatly missed. And I hope that that comes back uh, sooner than later this year. I imagine that might be the case for you as well, for many people. Um, and also, yeah. Yeah. yeah, really, really hope so. But I think you're right um, in saying that we are not able and we need a little more time and that, um, yeah, meeting in larger groups might take a bit more time. I think, yes, that's, uh, that's very accurate. That's yeah. I feel, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. And, and um, yeah, let's, let's just hope, you know, um, uh, yeah. medicine and vaccines are on the way, you know, and miracles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just to hopefully yeah. that, well, you know, people remain um, committed to the service yeah. of compassion, I guess, and the understanding of one another because we're all in a similar situation in some way so you know some patience is required and flexibility but hopefully we'll all um, arrive at a better state 100 yeah. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much elizabeth really appreciate yeah. it it was great to chat yeah. with you and to get to know uh, your professional journey for and for audience who wouldn't know you and uh, and who wouldn't know you know who'd like to uh, you know um to know more about VistaTech, you know, the services that we offer and uh, about your role as a director of solutions life data. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to speak here. Thank you for having me. And uh, I hope everyone is uh, off to a good start in 2021. Yeah, thank you so much. So that's the end of today's show with uh, Elizabeth Riley, uh, director of solutions architecture at VistaTech. And uh, please make sure to tune in again soon uh, to see or listen to our next Vista Talk Show when we'll be discussing more, we'll be discussing more interesting topics with interesting people from all around the world. Thank you.